Father, I pray that you would take these moments to still our hearts and let us know that you are God. Lord, I pray that you would, Father, enable us to hear and to listen that we might receive from you. God, we thank you that you are gracious and kind and loving. And Lord, we thank you that, uh, Lord, it, while we were still sinners, you died for us and you provided a way uh, when we were dependent upon our efforts and upon our own goodness and when we really weren't that good. And God, I thank you that even though we still uh, aren't good or great in the eyes of God, Lord, it is because of the blood that has been applied to all who believe that you fully accept us as you see us as pure and clean and holy. It's not by our merits, but by what you have done. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would instill hope in us. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that you are Lord. And Lord, we praise you this morning. And thank you for giving us the name above every name, which is Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Mark chapter 3. Today's scripture is taken from Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 15. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. As we look, before we look at Mark chapter 3 and look at the empowerment of the name, uh, I want us to, I want to just briefly mention to you uh, out in that hallway on my left, uh, we have some pictures of children there, and these are children in Belize. We are uh, adopting another country. We've already adopted uh, a couple, and we're adopting another one. And uh, we've already uh, bought some bags and done some things, and we have groups that have been going. We have a group that's going here in about a month. Uh, but uh, we want to encourage you to consider adopting a child through prayer and uh, support. Uh, if you, Maybe you even have one. We, we have one through World Vision. We're going to be taking a couple more. Uh, but we've made it to where for $20 a year, that's not a month, but a year, you can uh, buy this child. We've, Like I said, we've already put a little bit of money into it, but you can buy this child a bag with, uh, full of school supplies and also uh, will help, help us pick up the remaining balance of feeding them uh, at school for the year. Uh, so that's $20 for the year, okay? If you need easy in payment installments of $1.75 a month, we can work something out for you. Uh, but I would encourage you, particularly if you have children or grandchildren, to, to take one or two, whatever you like to take, 
and, and commit to pray for them. And we have about 50 people that that's going, that are be going over there on the 1st of June. And uh, you can take messages with them. You can develop a relationship. You will have the opportunity to go in the future. Uh, if you would like to go, if your children are first grade or older, they would have the opportunity to go. And so I just think this is a great opportunity. And um, we've got 400, a little, probably a little over 400 children in that school uh, that we're going to be adopting and sponsoring. And uh, that, w- along with uh, additional orphanages that we've taken in Haiti, uh, we're if we get all that done, we're going to be close to 900 children that we're sponsoring, uh, which is really amazing. That was our goal for 2015. Now, if you're clapping, that probably means you're sponsoring because we won't be there if we don't have 400 people do this. Uh, so just FYI. Uh, but really want you to pray about that. Can you think about it? Uh, no guilt, no pressure. We won't know if you did or not. Uh, it's a great opportunity. I encourage you to consider that. And uh, we're thankful. God has given us that mission to receive, to equip, to impact, and to send. We believe that's what God is calling us to do. Well, as we look at Mark chapter 3 today, as we continue in our series here on Mark, the empowerment of the name, uh, we, see, we see that Mark has done a good job of establishing the fact that Jesus is not only the Messiah, the anticipated deliverer, but he is also God. He has made the claim that he can forgive sin, which the religious establishment said only God can do that. And they were right. He has also made the claim that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And only God is Lord of the Sabbath. And that is correct. Jesus has made these claims very evident uh, that not only is he the Messiah, the one in whom the, the prophecies spoke of, uh, but he is also God, which most of the establishment, they weren't expecting the Messiah to be God. Matter of fact, they believe that, hey, here or here, there's Yahweh God, and he is the only God. And the thought that God would come to earth as man, as flesh, completely deconstructed the paradigm that most of them had. But in fact, that's what Jesus has done. God has came to earth in the form of man to give himself as a ransom for many because he wanted them to have hope. Now, if I go back to verse 6 here in chapter 3, the Bible says this, and we, we concluded with this verse last week. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians, who we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, were the people who worked with the Roman government to uh, to secure their spot in leadership, so to speak, and they kind of ruled the people under the guise of the Roman authority. They became pretty wealthy upon this. They had the power. Uh, they had the say-so. They had the influence of Rome. And they were hated by many because they it was felt like they compromised with Rome. But then there also uh, were the Pharisees on the other side. The Pharisees were the loyal, strict, uh, religious uh, adherents of the law. And they were the ones who spoke to the common man. They were the ones who, along with the Torah and the prophets, also gave additional rabbinical writings and, and rules on how to follow the Torah. And they had built it up in such a large fashion that it had become next impossible for anybody to keep. And you had these two groups who were actually enemies, but the Bible says something very interesting right here in verse 6. It says that they came together. You've heard the old expression, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, That's exactly what is occurring here. 
the two arch rivals come together because they see a greater threat than even the opposing political view. And it was Jesus, the one claiming to be God, the one claiming to be the Messiah, the one in whom the people are following and listening to. And they just say, this cannot be. People aren't listening to us anymore. People aren't doing what they're supposed to do and they're not following us. They're not giving. They're not living the way we think they should live. Those who are outcast and unclean, Jesus is welcoming them in. He's welcoming in the Gentiles and others. This can't be. This is a great threat. This is a great threat to national security. we got to destroy him. And not only did they just want him to die, the Greek is more implicit than that. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to destroy who he was, the message that he had preached, the hope that he had given, the salvation that was being offered. They wanted to destroy all of it. They wanted to exterminate the name of Jesus because he had brought hope. You know, there are three faces of hope when we look at it. The first face of hope is this. It is kind of a false hope. And quite frankly, we see that sometimes uh, with the uh, wealth and prosperity uh, gospel where we kind of generate, this is what I want God to be. This is what I want Jesus to do for me. And Jesus, this is what we're going to do. And this is it. Boy, Lord, you make me wealthy. You make me important. You make me powerful. And I'll help you out. I'll follow you if you do all those things. And we create an image. We create our own God in our mind of what we want God to be as opposed to who he really is. As opposed to worshiping him because he is Lord, because he is the God of the universe. And we can generate a false hope, a false purpose in life. That happened in that day and it happens today. There's also the hopelessness or the people who tell you there's no hope. I'm sorry, you're outside the lines of hope. We see that with the people of Jesus' day. Those who had diseases, those who had become unclean for various reasons, whether it's through choices or health or genetics. And they were told you were without hope. You were unclean. You're not free to worship. You're not free to come. And they felt a sense of hopelessness. There's no purpose. And where is God? And I can't even communicate with God. There's no way for me to get to God. And God doesn't even see me. If He does, He doesn't care. And they were left with that spirit of hopelessness. But Jesus came to give a sure hope. A sure hope. And what is a sure hope? Well, first of all, what does that word hope mean biblically? It means this. It means confident expectation. It's not like we use it and we go, you know, I sure hope there's not a big crowd after church when I go to Denny's or wherever it is I go. Uh, Louis, how old am I? Uh, anyway, <clears throat> McDonald's, uh, I sure hope there's not a big line. That's just a feeling. That's just something that we would like to happen. But confident expectation is, I know it's going to happen. I don't understand how it'll happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's coming. I know Jesus is coming. I know that He is God. I don't understand every nook and cranny, but I know it. I'm putting my hope in Him. That's the hope that we're talking about. That's the biblical hope. And what does that hope mean? What does a sure hope mean? Well, first of all, when we have our hope in Christ, and the hope that Jesus was preaching is that you can know that your salvation is assured. 
Once you've trusted Christ as Savior, once you've transferred your trust to what He's done upon the cross through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then you are granted salvation. And it is given to you. And it is sealed and approved and made permanent by the person of Jesus Christ. That hope you can have and you can know is assured. Number two, the next hope is this, is that God will right all injustices one day. Every injustice, every pain, uh, every tragedy that you experience on this earth, for those who know Christ, God will redeem he will make it right, either here on this earth or for eternity. He will redeem and make it right. So when we say, why does this happen? Why does this injustice go? Why does this atrocity happen? Know this, that God is going to make it all right one day. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All will be made right by God Himself. And thirdly, we have this hope, that the Holy Spirit walks us through life. No matter how dark the journey, no matter how deep the ravine, God walks with us. The Holy Spirit walks. We've been given that confident expectation that we can know that salvation is assured, injustices will be made right, and that Christ will walk with us through the remainder of our life. That's a great news, and that is a great hope. Let's look at our scripture passage here in chapter 3, verse 8. Verse 7, excuse me. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. We see this theme uh, continually occurring. Jesus withdrawing to solitude and to prayer. And we even have good reason to study because we see him meditating on Scripture as he quotes to Satan. Uh, and as we see this particular passage right here, he's trying to withdraw from the large crowds. Uh, and it says that the large crowds would follow him. If he'd go up the mountain, they'd follow him. He'd go to the desert, they'd follow him. And the Bible says here that when when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Adamia, and the regions of Tyre and Sidon uh, across the Jordan. And uh, when we look at that, I think sometimes geographically we go, okay, well, a lot of people came to see Jesus. I don't know if we fully appreciate this. Let me tell you what's going on here. Certainly there's the surrounding area of Judea that people are coming in, which could have been anywhere from, you know, from a mile uh, to 25, 30 miles away. But from Tyre and Sidon, these are not Jewish cities. These are Gentile cities. So in other words, uh, they, mo well, they would not have been followers of Yahweh. They would not have been followers of Judaism. They would have had another religion of faith, 90.999% uh, of them. But you've got people coming from a Gentile city. Not only that, Tyre and Sidon are over 100 miles to the north. Now think about that for a moment. In a day and age where there are no cars and 99% of people walk, you've got less than 1% if they were royalty or the Roman Empire would have a horse. But almost no one was even permitted to have a horse, uh, particularly as they were under the, uh, the dominion of Rome. You've got people who walk and they've walked over a 100 miles to come and hear the message of Jesus. I mean, it's really pretty remarkable when you stop and think about it. So he's at, Jesus is, at, is arguably at the zenith of his, quote, popularity as people are coming from all over the known world at this point to hear him. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to get a small boat ready for him and to keep the people from crowding him. Now, 
One of the problems it's having here, matter of fact, that word crowding literally means to crush as well. Uh, there are so many people coming uh, that there's a fear of him not only necessarily being crushed, but of them trying to, to make a movement themselves uh, to try to incur a, a revolution or ignite a revolution here. Because uh, if you go back and you look at uh, the hist- history of that time, uh, you had many. And matter of fact, Jesus calls a couple of them to be his disciples who were zealots, who were fierce nationalists who believed that when the Messiah would come, that he would usher in a militaristic kingdom and that they would wipe out the Roman Empire and they would set up Jerusalem as they believed it should be outside of all foreign influence. So they have, in their minds and their hearts, this is what Jesus needs to be. And I'm sure he's hearing those messages whispered to him. Uh, They're probably shouting from the crowds. And so here is Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? I need to get away for a little bit. I need to get outside from the crowd. Continues here. The Bible tells us that uh, they had come. Why? Because he had healed many. And because of their diseases, they were pushing forward to touch him. They just wanted to touch him. There were people coming from all over the place. We know if we go back and look at the story in Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 40 through 48, uh, there's a woman, as Jesus is walking through the crowd, who has been sick uh, all of her adult life. And she sees Jesus And she thinks to herself, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And so sure enough, she gets close enough just to touch the hem of his garment. And the Bible tells us the power goes out for Jesus. And Jesus says, who has touched me? Who touched me? Because Jesus felt the power, uh, the healing power from his body go out. And she is healed. There are those stories. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people who just want to touch Jesus. Who just want to feel the touch and the power of Jesus. You know if that's still true today. That's one of the reasons we want to sponsor children. That's one of the reasons that we go overseas. That's one of the reasons that over 750 people went out uh, last week uh, into different neighborhoods all across this community. Because people still need to feel the touch and the hope of Jesus. The Bible continues here and it tells us that uh, whenever the evil spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Now, why is that occurring? Why are when people who are demon-zessed, when they get near Jesus, when they hear the voice of Jesus, why do they cry out who he is? Well, the Bible tells us in uh, James chapter 2, verse 19, that the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder at the sound of his name. They have no choice but to shudder. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So when demons encounter him, they have no choice but to tremble at the sound of his name. The Bible then tells us, but he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was, not to tell who he was. Now, why does he do that? And, you know, I explained this a couple of weeks ago, but some guys asked me this week, well, why does Jesus keep saying, don't tell everybody who I am right now? Don't let's don't get into that. I'm here to preach the message. I want to preach the truth. Um, but he said, I want you to keep that message because it was not his time. If you'll recall the first miracle that Jesus did, his mother said, Jesus, we need some wine. Uh, we're here at the party. And he goes, look, Mom, uh, it's not my time. It's not the time that the Father has appointed for me to go to the cross, to die for mankind. 
he's first going to preach the word. He's first going to disciple these 12 men. He's going to prepare these men to take the gospel on after he's left. And then they're going to create other disciples. There are going to be more. It's not the time. So Jesus is waiting until the appointed time of the father. And then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he called to him those uh, he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 and designated them as apostles. So Jesus finds 12 men. And you've heard the stories before. This is not the 12 that you and I would choose. Uh, they're not the 12 that most people would choose. You've got the nationalist and then you've got the publican Matthew who's collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire and also uh, making money in that manner. And they hated each other. And now they're all together. Uh, and you've got people from different areas of the country. Uh, they're, they're just, it's just a ragtag group. A couple, some of them are educated. Most of them are not well educated. And Jesus calls this group of people. And he calls them and he gives them a new name, a new title. And it's that of apostles. That word apostle means sent out ones. Now, you sometimes hear people calling themselves apostles today. And, you know, if they want to call themselves the sent out ones, then that's fine. Uh, if they're going out. Uh, but I think we'd all agree that there's only, you know, the original 12 disciples or the tw- original 12 apostles. Here, here they are. Of course, Matthias takes Judas's place later. Uh, but as we look at that, uh, Jesus has just given a group of men who many of them were fishermen. Many of them were blue collar, common day laborers. And he's given them a new title, a new name. You know, in that day, just uh, particularly in ancient history, what your job was, as it does sometimes even today, would identify who you were. You would identify with maybe your, your given name, uh, which might be a name that had been passed down. And often that name might even reflect the family trait. And so as fishermen, they weren't real high up the, the social strata. But Jesus comes in and he gives them a new name. You are now apostles. He gives them a new purpose. The truth of it is when Jesus calls us to follow him, he gives us a new purpose. He gives us a new name. The Bible tells us in Acts that they, they called them Christians, those who were little Christ, Christ-like. It's our new purpose when we receive him. And they have followed, as many have followed through with baptism today and several more will next, uh, this next hour. They are following Christ and they are given their name. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter two that Jesus has a name for us that we'll talk about in just a moment and that he's written, written it on a white stone. Names are important and Jesus gives his name. And not only that, we see at least for some of them, He also gives them, quote, a nickname. He changes Simon's name to Peter, the rock, and he determines who he will be. It's not, you know, when we describe somebody, we're just describing who we think they are today. But when Jesus gives the name, he determines who they will be. And Peter, who's not a rock at this point, will become a rock. We see right here the disciples that are listed. Uh, And matter of fact, let's just read through these. Matter of fact, I'm going to go through. Let's put them up on the screen. I want to give you give you a picture of them. Uh, not that this is exactly what they look like. Some of you might wonder, how'd you get pictures of the disciples like that? Um, got some real, my grandparents were really old, but nevertheless, you have Peter. Peter, who was the rock. You've got John, whose name means the grace of God. And what's interesting about these guys is, uh, when they could not be found at the time of the crucifixion, you find them uh, later on after the Holy Spirit has come upon them with power, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Their lives are totally changed. They're, they're now given the title, not only the title of, 
apostle, but their name means power. And we see that James and John are given the name Sons of Thunder. Uh, then we see Andrew, whose name means um, strong man. Philip, uh, whose name means lover of horses and warrior, who becomes a warrior and who dies for faith, which virtually all these men, but John, died for their faith. We see Thomas, whose name means twin or like Adam, uh, like the next Adams, speared to death for his faith. Matthew means gift of Yahweh. Uh, that's probably not what he thought of in the early days and not the way people thought of him, but he becomes the, the gift of Yahweh, uh, the first gospel that we have in our New Testament. Uh, we see Thaddeus, large heart or courageous. And in the legend tells us or history tells us that he was shot through the heart uh, with arrows. Simon the Canaanite or the zealot, uh, whose name meant rock who hears, who's crucified for his faith. Uh, we have James, the son of Alphaeus, which is interesting. Alphaeus, that word right there, if you go back and do the etymology, the word Alpha, of course, means first. Okay, the word James is actually a derivative of the term Jacob, which means one who supplants. And uh, what that term was often used for was when a first son would die, the next son would be kind of become the first son, and that name Alphaeus. Uh, supplanting the original. And we see how James is completely uh, transformed and uh, is so transformed that he's willing to die, though he, is, uh, though he goes through the death of being sawn in half. And then Judas Iscariot, uh, whose name means praise the Lord. Judas, praise the Lord. But Iscariot means men of Corinth or men of the world. You know, we're all kind of like Judas. We have the given name that we've been given, and we have the name that God has been given. The question is, what name are we going to choose to live by? And we say, well, how important are names today? Well, names are still important. They, they still mean a lot. I mean, uh, when we name our children, usually we, hopefully, we, we have some kind of rhyme or reason behind it. Um, more than just, you know, we saw some television show and thought that was a cool name. Sometimes we do that, and that's fine if you did that. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of us, we think about it, and we think about who we know and and uh, what is, how this name or what does this name mean? What is the meaning of this name? Uh, I'll give you an example um, for, for our children. And when we were thinking about it, you know, we named Chloe, uh, that name Chloe, uh, from John 15, 5, uh, where the Bible tells as Jesus is speaking to uh, his followers. And he said, I want you to bear fruit. And apart from me, you cannot bear. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. That word fruit, uh, fruitfulness. Uh, means Chloe. That's where the word comes from. And so we have it in Scripture up on her wall. When she wakes up every morning, she can see that. She can see that life verse, what her name means, and uh, that God is calling her to be fruitful uh, for the kingdom's sake. The word Brock uh, that we named our son, uh, we wanted to personify uh, integrity and, and character to him. And so there was a couple who helped us start this church. Many of you know him, uh, Ed and Ruth Brock. We did all of our... Uh, Staff meetings, all of our meetings, everything we did outside of Sunday morning church all happened at their home because they donated their facility, their church. We still have offices over there uh, that they allowed us to come in and, and use over at their home. And um, because of their honor and their integrity, uh, we named our son Brock, and we tell him that. And we wanted that picture. You know, as, as you name your children, usually that name, maybe it was a grandparent, or maybe it was a father, or maybe it was your name. That's what my name. I'm, by the way, my name's not Ron. Uh, I'll let you figure out what it is. How many of you know what my real name is? Raise your hand. That's right. I, I do this about once every uh, few years. Um, uh, I have an alias uh, that I go by. Uh, but 
I'm actually a third. That's why I go by Ron, because it really got confused because my grandfather was Don. Uh, my, my, my dad's name was Don, and my name was Don the third. And, we, you know, my grandfather lived about a mile from us. So uh, because in Louisiana, that's what you do. Okay, we'll call you Ron. It's no part of my name. It's just a nickname just to avoid confusion. So there you go. That's what I go by. Uh, sometimes names have more meaning than that. Uh, typically, they do. I've been in therapy, and I'm fine now. Uh, don't send this to my mother. But anyway, let's say about other names. How important are names? Let me give you a couple. Does anybody know? Um, uh, I, I, I can't. Uh, anybody know who Meta World Peace is? Ron artist. Okay. Um, let's let's do a couple more. Let's see if you can get a couple right here. Let me let me put one on the board here. Who's this? Demetria Gain. Does anybody know who that is? Who? Demi Moore. Okay. So a lot of times, I mean, we don't know a lot of popular people named Demetria Gaines, but Demi Moore, everybody knows that name. Names are still big. Okay, let me give you another one. Gordon Sumner. Who's that? Sting. That's right. From our spiritual group, everybody knows who Sting is. And uh, that last hour, everybody, I mean, it's just like unison. Everybody yells out Sting. You know what I mean? Uh, Marion Morrison. John Wayne. There you go, because you can't have a cowboy named Marion, all right? <laughs> and there are others, but names are a big deal. And when names don't properly fit us in our culture today, many people will change them. Anyway, it wasn't that different back then. Matter of fact, if you, uh, if you were given a new task in life, if you rose to prominence in ancient cultures, it was very common for you to be assigned a new name. If you were the emperor, you'd come up with this new name. If you were a general, if you were a great warrior, when you became a knight, you would be given that name. Even uh, We even see a lot of the great patristic fathers, uh, a lot of the uh, you know, great fathers in the faith, given names that identified them and gave them this new image. You know, even in Europe, in many countries in Europe today still, they have what they call name day, where they will celebrate their name. It was either a, a grandparent name or a name of one of the saints, and they'll celebrate that day. I was talking to a friend of mine from Greece, and he said when he grew up in Greece, every year we'd have name day, and I look forward to that because we'd celebrate that. And I would identify with a guy whom I was named after, and uh, they, we made a big deal out of it. And he said it just really influenced and impacted, and I really was proud of my name, and I understood the history of it. Jesus sees this group, and he gives them the name Apostles. And then he renames some of the apostles, maybe all of them. This is what we have copies of. And he gives them a new understanding of why they exist. And the question for us today is, do I understand who I am? Do I understand my name? Do I understand what God has called me to be? Now, there's the given name that you've been given. Mary, Bob, Jane, Larry, uh, Tony, whatever your name is. And we know that name. But do you realize that according to the book of Revelation, as Jesus is speaking, that he has a name for you? And that name is what he desires your character to be. It's what he's equipped you to be in the kingdom of God. It's not just the, the name Ron that he calls you, but he has a name of character that represents you, of power that represents you. And I don't know what that name is for you. I don't know if that name is honor, integrity, servant, teacher, whatever it is, God has a name for you. 
today. And you go, how do I find that name? You know how they found it? First of all, they decided to answer the call to serve. One of the best ways we find out what the name that God has for us is through serving. And as many of you served last week, as you begin to serve and you begin to serve in the kingdom of God, God begins to use you and people begin to identify those characteristics with you, whether it be patience or encouragement or hope or leader or whatever it is that God has designed you for, that he's innately created you to be. He wants you to begin to use it. But if we're not using it, if we're only always chasing our name, the name that we want, the power, the money, the prestige, the position, we miss out on the name that God has for us. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives a grace unto the humble. And Jesus also, we see in this passage here, that he would get away in solitude where he could hear God. And he would pray and he would seek the heart of God. When we begin to serve, when we begin to pray, when we begin to listen, God begins to work into our heart. And we begin to open ourselves up to his kingdom in the community. That's one of the reasons uh, we're called the church, the ecclesia. You see what Jesus did? He called them out. He called the apostles out. And essentially he called them the number 12. And for the Jews, they would recognize that's exactly what Moses did. He had the 12 tribes. He's starting a new community and he's sending them out to serve. And they don't understand what their name is now. Some of them get a hint of it. As Peter's called the rock, or Simon's changed his name to Peter. But later on, God will use them and he'll identify, as we just saw those words, he'll identify them and he will use them to literally change the course of the world and the course of mankind. So let me give you some rock points for today, some practical applications when we look at this. Number one, one of the ways we can empower through our names is don't withhold your blessing from someone. If there's someone that you need to bless, uh, particularly if it's verbally, somebody that you see is doing a good job, somebody who's ministering to your children, someone that you see that's uh, caring for others, making an impact, speak that word of blessing. Speak that word of hope. That may be why God has placed you here and left you here on earth. Speak that word. Share the surety of your hope with others. Let others know of the hope that is within you. Tell your child, spouse, or friends the meaning of their name. Do a little research. Find the meaning of their name. And if you know if that doesn't fit, tell them, you know what? This is what I think about when I think of you. So when I think of you, I think of courage. I think of strength. I think of honor. I think of truth. Uh, honey, when I, when I think of you... Uh, I think of kindness. I think of self-control. I think of purity. And speak that power into their lives. Speak that word of blessing into their lives. As parents, we have that wonderful opportunity. As grandparents and as teachers, you may say, well, my children are grown. You know what? You can speak words of life to our children in the back. We have children that come here that don't have their parents. And they need to hear a word of hope. And God wants to use us as the ecclesia, the called out ones, the apostles, the sent out ones. To speak the word of hope. Share the name that you identify others with, those who's are those whom you are close to, those you work with, those who are friends. And if it's a bad name, probably don't share it with them. Uh, you know, for some people we hear a name and it's you know, we don't like that name, but there's some people when you hear that name, it's just like grace or it's encouragement. It makes you smile, it makes you feel special. Share that with them. Share that uh, characteristic that you identify 
them with. Because when everybody's name is spoken, we don't just think about the given name. It, it causes a subconscious response in our mind when we hear a name. What is the response that people are having when they hear your name spoken? What do you think God wants that name to be? It doesn't have anything to do with education, i.e. see the disciples. It doesn't have anything to do with how many Bible verses you know, how long you've been going to church. If you know Christ, Christ is giving you a name. He's giving you a character. And He wants you to use it for His kingdom. And He wants you to speak it and to be it. And you can learn that as you serve and as you seek. And as other people speak it into your life. And as you speak it into other people's lives. That's why we're here. To glorify God. To see others come in His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You that while we were still sinners, You died for us. Thank You, Lord, for speaking life into us. And in Your name, Lord, we come and we gather and we pray and we worship and we lift up this time. May the name of the Lord be praised. And if there's someone that doesn't know You, I pray that they'd come to know You today, that You'd draw them by the power of Your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things according to your riches and glory. Amen.